What makes you angry? What is it that triggers your anger? And what does that look like in your life? And what do you do about it? What do you do about it when you're angry? Do you explode with anger? Do you withdraw and stop engaging people? Or does it unfold in a deliberate, premeditated plan? Last week, in World Magazine, they reported the arrest of a Louisiana man. He's a roofer, and he was angry at his customer. He had put a roof on a woman's house, and in six months' time, she had, she had rendered no payment whatsoever. He was angry. He was furious. And so, while she was gone, she went away, and while the house was empty, he went and removed the roof. He took the tiles off the roof. He took the paper off the roof. It's like, well, you didn't pay for it. You can't keep it. He was arrested last month for um, criminal damage to property and trespass. What do you do when you're angry? (laughs) I sometimes fall into odd responses when I'm really angry. That's kind of an odd response. What does it look like for you, and then what do you do about it? Hopefully we've got an answer here. I think the Word of God speaks to this matter very clearly. I'm going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32, and only concentrating this morning on verse 26 and 27. I'm going to ask that we stand as the Word of God is read. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that's not the way you learned Christ assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's word. 
Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we thank you. Because what you lay before us here is how to not live as we formerly would have lived as Gentiles who did not know you. But now these are instructions for a people of God who have been given life and light. We ask that you illuminate our hearts and our minds and press these words to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. The Hatfields and the McCoys are iconic. They're almost a cliche. You say Hatfield and McCoy, and it instantly says dual, feud. They were real people. The Hatfields were English. The McCoys were Scots-Irish. That alone was enough of attention. And they dwelt on the border between West Virginia and Kentucky. The feud between the two families was as real as the people. And it lasted nearly 40 years. It began toward the end of the war between the states. Uh, one, the Hatfields and McCoys, having lived in the southern states, uh, when the south withdrew, they had southern sympathies. But when the war started, one of the McCoys chose to fight with the North in the Union, which dissatisfied both families, and they became angry. Deeply angry. Very angry. In 1865, when he returned, he was murdered by a gang mostly made up of Hatfields. The anger deepened a few years later when there was a dispute between the two families over who really owned a hog that had been in the possession of the Hatfields. This also resulted in somebody getting killed. More anger and more violence. Sometime after this, one of the McCoy girls ran off with one of the Hatfield boys, and that pushed the anger deeper. As I said, the feud lasted nearly 40 years. 40 years. Between 1865 and 1901. And during this time, out of anger and vengeance, more than two dozen people lost their lives between the two families. A feud began with dissatisfaction. It moved into anger, and then moved from anger and escalated to hatred, and from hatred to the outworking of that bitter hatred. Anger is a powerful and dangerous and deadly motivator. But in this passage, God says some surprising things to us that would do us well to pay attention to because as Christians, we are not forbidden from being angry. Listen to this again. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Interesting. God doesn't say, don't be angry. He says, be angry, but don't sin. So there seems to be in Scripture a legitimate kind of anger, something that we're I mean, anger is a part of our emotional makeup. It does show up. And it seems to be a part of God because Scripture says that he's angry with the wicked every day. 
Scripture says that he will pour out wrath. Somehow, wrath and anger are not mutually exclusive. It means that anger does not drive out love. So we have to ask some questions. And this comes in the context of our studying, first of all, 1 John, where 1 John 4, he concludes this chapter by saying, look, the community of Christ is a tapestry of love. And if that's the case, we look at this passage and go, be angry and do not sin. This is actually a practical living aspect. So we have to ask the question, what kind of anger are we talking about? What kind of angry is it that's a proper anger in the community of Christ, that's a proper anger in our lives as human beings, that then raises the question, well, what's an improper anger? And then how do we live it out? What do we do with it once it takes place? There is an anger that is not sin. And if there was an anger, I mean, if there was, if anger in its totality was a wicked thing, God could never be angry. So Christian anger somehow must be rooted in the truth and in the justice and the character of God rather than in our emotions, where typically that's simply where it resides. And that we as Christians who have been given new life in Christ need to let the Spirit of God govern our anger with wisdom and patience. Because we are growing up in the things of Christ. We're growing up in every way in him who is the head. First of all, I want to draw out a little bit. Anger in of itself, in and of itself, is not a sin. Let me draw your attention to a few scriptures here. Throughout the scriptures, we're told that there is an anger that God has. God gets angry and shows wrath in a variety of circumstances. This one that Kirk just read from Numbers chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 4 is just such an instance. Here's the whole context. Let me paint the scenario for you. When the people came out of Egypt, they were out of the nation, out of the nation of Egypt, probably 10 days. And they were thirsty. And they started complaining. Why did you bring us out into this desert to die of thirst? We and our children and our cattle. Why did you bring us out here, Moses? And Moses turned to the Lord and said, Lord, they're thirsty. Please do something. So the Lord said, go to the rock, take your staff, and strike the rock. And water will flow out of the rock so that the people will be refreshed. Moses obeyed. He went, he, spoke, he, he struck the rock with his staff, water flowed out of the rock, and the people were refreshed. God then gave them his law, reminding them of his covenantal love, telling them that he would be their God. He gave them a system of sacrifices for dealing with sin. He gave them a tabernacle. He gave them all of the activities of the tabernacle, including the priesthood. And then he leads them further out into the desert. And in this instance, 
They're hungry and they're thirsty and they get riled up again. Why did you bring us out here? So that we could just die of starvation and thirst. God's instructions to Moses were specific. Speak to the rock, and it will bring forth water. Speak to the rock. You don't need to strike the rock again. You already struck the rock once. Speak to the rock. Moses, in his anger with the people and in his frustration with the people, goes out, stands in front of the rock, lifts his staff, and strikes it again twice. God, in his grace, issued forth the water. But Moses received the wrath of God. You may not enter into the promised land. You'll have to see it from afar. For those of you who follow what goes on in Scripture, in the revelation of Christ, Christ is the rock. He was struck the first time. He only needs to be struck once. That's why Moses was supposed to speak to the rock. Jesus doesn't have to be killed again. All we need to do is call out to him for grace and refreshment. The point being, though, that God is angry with Moses. Moses was angry, too. Moses' anger led him to disobedience. God's anger led him to a proper judgment on Moses. Moses, I'll speak with you face to face. Moses, you're my friend. Moses, you are the leader of my people, and I'm not going to remove you from that position, but you may not go into the land. God's anger is a holy, loving anger. So what kind of anger is it that God expresses that we need to pay attention to? Numbers 11, the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. God's anger was kindled. Numbers 11, uh, verse 10, Moses heard the people weeping through their clans. Everyone was at the door of his tent. The anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Numbers eleven thirty three. while the meat that they were longing after, longing after, while the meat was still in their teeth, before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people. God's anger was kindled by the people complaining, weeping over God's daily provision to them, and then abandoning God's daily provision to them. God's anger was rested upon them for their idolatry, for their sexual immorality, for their impurity, for their evil desire, even Colossians 3, 5 through 6 says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. God, God's anger, his holy anger, arises at things that deform and defile 
his people. Which is why a growing knowledge of the word and what pleases God is always a blessing to us. Here are the things that God gets angry about. Rebellion, injustice, grumbling and complaining, idolatry, oppression, impurity, self-righteousness. Our Lord Jesus Christ manifested anger too. The Holy Lamb of God. The Holy Lamb of God who came in love in order to deal with God's wrath, in order to receive God's wrath. Jesus himself is shown in Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. He enters the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they, the Pharisees, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, and so, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around them, looked around at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Jesus is stirred up by the hardness of heart of religious people. Religious leaders who are more interested in keeping the people bound to the law than in releasing them from their oppression. He was angry with this situation, and they were angry with him because he had violated their law. And he was angry with them because in holding on to their laws and their rules, compassion died. Compassion and mercy So God is angry. He does manifest anger, and his anger is holy and righteous. And we grow up in a knowledge of a holy and a righteous anger that can actually reside within us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. If Christ is living in us, and we are being conformed to the image of Christ, then there is a place for us to be angry and to not sin. What makes us angry? What do we get angry about? Let me tell you why I'm sitting on this one a little bit. You know, when we live in a community of of Christians, when we live in the community of the church, almost all of our relationships become heightened. They become heightened because we're emotional people, and there's hardly anything that's more emotional than faith. And therefore, in this heightened emotional situation, we can easily bruise and bump one another. We can easily understand and be misunderstood, And those sorts of things stir up anger. And so we need to talk about it so that we understand there's sometimes a place for that, and sometimes we need to put a check on ourselves. What makes us angry? Well, anger happens in our lives because it's a response to perhaps a perceived offense. Not even a real offense. We've got something going on in our heads or in our hearts, 
And because, uh, I don't know, we just see something a certain way, it stirs us up. Now, let me give you an example. Um, In the previous church that I was serving in, my patience was being tested by how things were going. And because my patience was tested, I had gotten into a conversation with one of the elders, and he said something about one of the other session members. And all of a sudden, for the rest of the day, I've got this conflagration going on in my head. I'm just, I'm arguing, I'm fighting, I'm just angry and stirring myself up against somebody who never said anything to me because of what was reported by somebody who did say something to me, and because I had this preconceived scenario in my head as to what should be going on and wasn't. That's never happened to you, has it? We argue with our spouse in our head. We argue with our kids in our head. We argue with our neighbors in our head. A perceived offense, not even a real offense, or a violation of principles that we consider to be basic. That's, what, that's what anger, how anger happens in us. Perhaps it's something that's a threat to the authority or security or stability that we hold dear. Something that hasn't gone our way. How many times have we mapped out and laid out plans and all of a sudden they've been derailed because of something else and that stirs up our anger? Or jealousy. Jealousy about wanting to have something that we can't have, but somebody else has got it. Harsh words, that stirs up anger. Seeing something that's radically out of line with the truth. There's lots of things that stir up our anger. To know ourselves is to know what makes us angry. And to know that we, when we are genuinely angry and we need to look into it. The sense of right and wrong that is violated, it's, it's a sense of right and wrong, it's violated, and it stirs us up. And we want to address that right or that wrong and to defend what's right. And the problem is, because of our sin, our sense of right and wrong is deformed. It's not automatically restored when we're saved. It needs to be retrained. It needs to be discipled. So we need to recognize what makes us angry. But there are times when our anger is, in fact, a proper anger. It's an anger when we see someone commit a sin against another person and we feel as though God's honor at that moment has just been uh, neglected or denied. It's not necessarily when something, somebody does something against us. But it's when we see someone sin against a third party. Our anger should be a righteous anger to where we speak into that situation. We can't change hearts and we can't necessarily change the outcome, but we can speak into the situation with a holy anger that brings glory to God. That's the kind of anger that should stir us up to where we speak to it. Or when we see someone deny or neglect 
the glory of the Lord for their own glory, for their own uh, exaltation. That's a time to speak into the situation and out of anger. Anger for God's holiness. Anger for the neglect of God's holiness. But there is a solution to our anger as we are going through it. You see, we are to be angry and not sin. We need to see what our sinful responses are to the anger that we feel. My sinful response is to argue, to fight, to wrestle on the inside, and then to just bury it and to become grumbly. That's my response. And the Lord has needed to lead me out of that several times. Our solution to our anger is to put on the new nature which is being created after Christ Jesus. Our solution is to ask, what is it that Jesus got angry about, or what is it that I would have gotten angry about, and Jesus chose to bring grace and mercy? For example, when Jesus was called uh, be, that he was possessed by Beelzebub, Beelzebub when, he was, when it was stated that he was possessed by the devil. Jesus could have gotten angry and really acted in righteous anger against his opponents. But he instructed. He chose to instruct. If Satan stands against Satan, how can a house divided stand? But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come upon you. The anger of of man does not produce the righteousness of God, but it can point to the righteousness of God, not as the offense is directed against us, but as the offense is directed against another. We must come to the Lord understanding that his sacrifice satisfies our anger. His sacrifice satisfies the offense. And that his sacrifice keeps us from being at odds, tense with one another, so that we may be restored in relationship to one another with Christ as our mediator. That's how I have to live with my wife. That's how I have to live with my children. And you do as well. If Christ does not stand between us, I can find a thousand, thousand things to divide us off and to alienate us. Because that's the perversion of my heart. And I'm not any different than anyone in this room. We need Christ to stand between us with his shoulder, his hand on the shoulder of one and his hand on the shoulder of the other and to bring us together. Christ himself is the breaking down of the dividing wall between parties who are angry with one another. What do we do with our anger? The first thing we do is we take and we acknowledge it. We acknowledge it for what it is, and we acknowledge it for why it's there. Is it really that this person did that or this thing, or is it because I felt like I was offended and I need vengeance? Why is that anger there? At least acknowledge that. And then take it and lay it before the Lord. Take it before him and say, God, you see what's going on inside my heart. You see what's going to happen if I even allow this to continue to brew. 
and you lay it before the Lord and ask him to remove it from you, to show you how Christ has satisfied that offense. Then you lift up holy hands. You lift up holy hands praying for the one who made you angry. You lift up holy hands praying for those who you see as having offended. It is in Christ Jesus that we have the liberty from being controlled by the anger. That's, what, that's how we can, we can not give the devil a foothold. Don't let him have an opportunity to steer you around with that anger. Because really, the two intense responses to an angry offense is either murder or Suicide. Those are, the ins- those are the intense responses. It's either a f- attack or withdraw. And there's, a, there's an area within which we seek to reconcile. We lift up prayers not just for ourselves, but for the persons we're angry with. We lift up prayers and ask God not to bring vengeance but for God to bless them with mercy and grace that they might have their own heart turned to the Lord. Grace, perhaps, for them to see what they've done. Grace to protect them from harmful outcomes. Because our God is a God of grace. He's patient with us. There are churches that God declared that he was angry with them. And they had an opportunity to repent. Ephesians, the Lord said to them, Return to your first love, or I will remove your candlestick. But the Lord smiles upon his people. He is working in them a salvation which brings them in conformance with Christ. Christ who is a Christ of forgiveness, a Christ of grace, a Christ who is angry with self-righteousness, but who has laid down his own life, that that self-righteousness and that wickedness may be removed. Beloved, we're God's people. We're God's children. And as God's children, we may rely fully upon that grace which transforms us. We may rely fully upon a God who gives grace for the moment when we are in that moment of need and who leads us in the way of wisdom. May the prayer of our hearts always be, Lord, Search me and try me. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Do not hear that only as for first salvation. We need to hear that today. Always, every day, because God is our full supply, our full sufficiency. Christ, in the end, will scoop us up and show us how he has been working in us, transforming us, purging us of all of those things that are not in alignment with his character, and bringing us into greater and greater beauty of holiness, a beauty that is bestowed upon us in the Lord, a beauty that we don't have in and of ourselves but will have on that last day when we are made like him 
when we are brought into his presence to live with him forever. Let's pray together.